السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما كتاب العلم باب ما جاء في العلم وقوله تعالى وقل رب زدني علما and also والقراءه والعرض على المحدث in this bab imam bukhari is giving the evidence of one of the ways of tahammulul hadith what is tahammulul hadith it is the different ways of acquiring the knowledge of hadith the different ways of acquiring knowledge of hadith and there are eight ways of tahammulul hadith which inshallah i will tell you about later on but over here in this bab imam bukhari is mentioning one way which is al qira'ah والعرض. And both are the same. القراءة على الشيخ It is also known as العرض And what does it mean? To when the student reads before the teacher And the teacher approves Meaning he approves what he has read If there are any corrections that have to be made He does that And the student gets the permission afterwards to narrate Whatever that he read before the teacher And then Imam Bukhari mentions different evidences And then evidence also from the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam. So let's read the hadith, hadith number 63. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال حدثنا الليث عن سعيد هو المقبوري هو المقبوري What does it mean by this? That Sa'id, he was المقبوري مقبوري is one who digs graves. This was his profession. You will find this that many times the scholars of the past there are mentioned and along with their name some sifa like this is mentioned. He was such and such, he was such and such. So that sifa, what is it? It was their profession, what they would do otherwise as well. What does it show to us? That the scholars of the past were, yes, they taught, but at the same time, they also did other things. That those people who dug graves or who did other things, they even possessed knowledge of the deen. Even they were muhaddithin, even they had knowledge and they taught knowledge. So who al maqburiyu? عن شريك ابن عبد الله ابن أبي نمر أنه سمع أنس بن مالك يقول he said بينما نحن جلوس مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في المسجد he said that بينما while once نحن جلوس we were sitting جلوس is the plural of جالس so we were all sitting مع النبي with the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم where were we sitting في المسجد in the masjid So while we were sitting, دَخَلَ رَجُلٌ A man entered عَلَى جَمَلٍ Upon a camel. A man entered the masjid on a camel. فَأَنَاخَهُ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ فَأَنَاخَهُ So he made it, meaning the camel, rest. In other words, he made it stand somewhere. فَأَنَاخَهُ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ In the masjid. So in the masjid, he brought the camel and then he made the camel stand on the side or something. And then ثُمَّ عَقَلَهُ And then he tied it. So he made the camel stand in one place and then he tied it over there. ثُمَّ عَقَلَهُ ثُمَّ قَالَ لَهُمْ Then he said to them, to who? To the Sahaba, to the people who were sitting in the masjid, that أَيُّكُمْ مُحَمَّدٌ Which of you is Muhammad? وسلم, he didn't say which of you is the messenger of Allah, which of you is the prophet of Allah. He said which of you is Muhammad? وَالنَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ And the Prophet ﷺ, he was مُتَّكِئٌ 
He was reclining. Baina between zahranayhim. What does it mean by this? Baina zahranayhim, meaning amongst them. Zahr is, you know, back. So people were all sitting, facing one another. Some people had their backs to others. Just like people are sitting in a gathering. People are sitting in small circles. So some people are facing each other. Other people have their backs to the others. So it was a very casual setting. So the Prophet ﷺ was sitting amongst the companions. So in other words, the man who walked in, he couldn't tell who was the messenger of Allah. Because he wasn't sitting on a separate you know, chair or a separate place, but he was sitting amongst the companions. فَقُلْنَا So we said, the Sahaba said, هَذَا الرَّجُلْ This man, الْأَبْيَضُ The one who is very fair, المتكي, The one who is sitting, reclining. This man is Muhammad فَقَالَ لَهُ So he said to him, who? الرَّجُلُ The man. The man, he said to the Prophet إِبْنَ عَبْدِ المطلب, O son of Abdul Muttalib. فَقَالَ لَهُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ So the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said to him, قَدْ أَجَبْتُكَ قَدْ In fact, أَجَبْتُكَ I have responded to you, meaning here I am. I'm answering you. فَقَالَ الرَّجُلُ So the man said, لِلنَّبِيُّ صلى الله عليه وسلم To the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم That إِنِّي سَائِلُكَ Indeed, I am going to question you. Indeed, I am going to ask you certain questions. فَمُشَدِّدٌ عَلَيْكَ So I will be very hard on you. Meaning I'll be very hard in asking you questions. فِي الْمَسْأَلَةِ In the مَسْأَلَة Meaning in my asking you questions. فَلَا تَجِدْ So do not find عَلَيَّ Against me فِي نَفْسِكْ In your heart. Meaning do not have any bad feelings against me in your heart. You understand what he said? I'm going to ask you certain questions and I'm going to be very tough. I'm going to be very hard. So don't mind. Don't have any bad feelings against me in your heart. فَقَالَ So the Prophet ﷺ said, Sal, ask. Amma about what? Badalak. Bada. What does bada mean? To appear, right? So whatever is coming from you, meaning ask me questions, whatever you want. فَقَالَ So he said, أَسْأَلُكَ I ask you بِرَبِّكَ By your Lord وَرَبِّي And the Lord of مَنْ قَبْلَكَ Of those before you I ask you by your Lord And the Lord of those who came before you أَاللَّهُ أَرْسَلَكَ إِلَى النَّاسِ كُلِّهِمْ أَاللَّهُ Has Allah أَرْسَلَكَ Has He sent you إِلَى النَّاسِ To the people كُلِّهِمْ All of them Has Allah sent you to all people فَقَالَ so he said, Allahumma na'am. By Allah, yes. Allahumma literally means, oh Allah. But over here, it's being used in the meaning of by Allah. The word Allahumma is sometimes also used as qasm. So Allahumma na'am, meaning yes, by Allah. I have been sent by Allah to all of mankind. Qala, he said, Anshuduka billahi. Anshuduka, I beseech you, I implore you, billahi, by Allah. Allahu amaraka Has Allah commanded you an nusalli as-salawat al-khamsa that we should pray the five prayers fil yawmi wal-layla in the day and the night Has Allah commanded you that we should pray five prayers in the day and the night Qala the Prophet sallallahu replied Allahumma na'am By Allah yes 
قال he said anshuduka billahi i beseech you by allah Allahu amaraka has Allah commanded you an nasuma hadha ash-shahra that we fast in this month which month in the month of ramadan min as-sana from the year meaning from the whole year we have to fast in this month qala the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam replied allahumma na'am by allah yes قال he said انشدك بالله i beseech you by allah الله امرك has allah commanded you ان تاخذ that you take هذه الصدقه this charity من اغنيائنا from our rich ones فتقسمها then you distribute it على upon فقرائنا our poor ones Has Allah commanded you to take this charity from who? From the wealthy amongst us and give it to the poor amongst us. What is he referring to? The zakat. فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ اللَّهُمَّ نَعَمْ By Allah, yes. فَقَالَ الرَّجُلُ So the man said, آمَنْتُ I believe بِمَا جِئْتَ بِهِ With what you have brought. I believe in what you have brought, in what you have come with. وَأَنَا and I am رَسُولُ Messenger of مَنْ وَرَائِي Those who are behind me مِنْ قَوْمِ Of my people In other words I have been sent by my people Rasul over here is in its literal sense Okay Not the technical meaning of the Messenger of Allah So وَأَنَا رَسُولُ مَنْ وَرَائِي مِنْ قَوْمِ وَأَنَا and I am ضِمَامُ بْنُ سَعْلَبَةَ My name is Imam Ibn Sa'labah and I am Akhu, the brother of Bani Sa'd ibn Bakrin. I am the brother of the Banu Sa'd ibn Bakr. Meaning, he was telling about which tribe he came from. رَوَاهُ مُوسَى وَعَلِيُّ بْنُ عَبْدِ الْحُمَيْدِ عَنْ سُلَيْمَانِ عَنْ ثَابِتٍ عَنْ أَنَسٍ عَنِ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ بِهَذَا So anyway, there are many things that can be learned from this hadith. First of all, the reason why Imam Bukhari is mentioning this hadith is to prove that if a person asks another about something and the other responds to him in the affirmative he says to him yes this is fine this is correct then the one who is asking he can narrate what he asked this is just like a student if he recites something before his teacher and the teacher approves what he read then the student has the permission to narrate that as if he took it from the teacher whereas the teacher is not the one who read everything who read it The student read it. Where do we learn this from in the hadith? That Imam Ibn Sa'laba, he asked a number of questions. Has Allah commanded you of such and such? And the Prophet ﷺ said, yes, to every question. And when Imam Ibn Sa'laba went back to his people, he taught the people whatever that he had read before the Prophet ﷺ. Although these statements the Prophet ﷺ did not read before him, who actually read them? That man did. But he passed it on as though... He had taken it from the Prophet ﷺ. So similarly, if a student takes something from his teacher in this manner, through the process of qira'ah, through the process of ard, this is an acceptable way. This is an acceptable way a student may transmit a hadith that he has received from his teacher through this method. So this is the reason why Imam Bukhari is mentioning this hadith in this bab. And it was referenced earlier as well in the chapter heading. But there are many other lessons that we can learn in this hadith. First of all, we see that this hadith proves to us that animals may be taken to the masjid. But obviously which animals? The bahaim, the bahimatul an'am, right? The animals of livestock, which people eat of 
they use their milk, they use their flesh, and they use them even for riding purposes. So such animals may be taken into the masjid even, and they may even be kept in the masjid for the purpose of, you can say, parking. This is just like when the Sahaba or even after them for a very, very long time, when people would go for Hajj or Umrah, they would do tawaf, they would do sari on their camels even. That is completely acceptable. Which shows to us that the urine, the defecation of these animals is also tahir. Okay, it is clean because it's understood that if a camel goes somewhere, you know, if he has to use the bathroom, he will. So this shows that if he urinates in the masjid, his urine is tahir, it is clean. Then it also shows to us that the Prophet ﷺ, this hadith shows that, that he sat amongst the people in a very normal way, in a very casual setting as well. Every setting, every gathering was not a very formal gathering. The formal gathering was which one? The Jumu'ah Khutbah. Beyond that, generally, the Prophet ﷺ would have casual settings with the companions and this is how they learned many things from him. And we also see that he was one of the people in the sense that he never made himself distinct from the rest of them in the manner that he dressed or in the manner that he sat, in the way that he behaved. Yes, his personality did shine through. However, he never did anything to make himself you know, obviously different from the rest of the people. And we know that people did request him you know, to wear different kind of clothes just like the Roman kings and the Persian kings did. But the Prophet ﷺ did not like that. And after him, the Khulafa also, even they did not like that. Because as the man walked in, he had to ask, which of you is Muhammad ﷺ? Then we also see that this man, he was extremely harsh in the way that he spoke. Imagine, he walked in, ayyukum Muhammad. And then he said, I'm going to ask you a number of questions and I'm going to be very tough. But don't have any bad feelings against me. Well, of course, if you're going to ask bad, you know, in a harsh way, then a person is, you know, if he has bad feelings against you, that's understood. But look at the character of the Prophet ﷺ. His patience, his tolerance, his forgiveness, his generosity, that the man was so rough and rude in the way that he addressed him, in the way that he spoke to him, but the Prophet ﷺ did not mind that at all. It did not prevent him from behaving in a good way. Because وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ What do we do typically? That we come down to the level of the other person. The way his akhlaq is, we make our akhlaq the same way. If he is addressing us in a harsh manner, we will address him in a harsh manner. If he is talking in a very rough way, in a very crude way, we do the same thing. But this is not correct. This is not correct. Remember, akhlaq, it's khuluq, right? It's a part of you. And if it's a part of you, then you don't have to adjust yourself depending on who is in front of you. Okay? It's your natural disposition. So a person who is naturally or he has developed that akhlaq of being gentle in his speech, then no matter what situation he is in, he will be like that. Whether or not other people are gentle with him. And it's very important that we understand the background of other people as well. I mean, this person, clearly, he was a Bedouin. He was clearly a Bedouin. Or he was clearly a person who had come from another tribe who was unfamiliar with the norms, with the values, with the with the way that the Muslims addressed one another. But the Prophet ﷺ did not expect that way from him. He didn't expect him to be courteous. He didn't expect him to be you know, gentle in his speech. He accepted him the way he was. He accepted him the way he was. And we need to do the same thing as well. We want that if a person has grown up in a village, that's you know whatever he's seen all his life, we expect that if he's talking to us, he should talk to us in a very dignified manner. He won't. Because he hasn't received that upbringing. 
to him it's normal to speak in that manner so we can never benefit people we can never tolerate people unless and until we accept them the way they are and we understand their background otherwise it's impossible then another very important thing that we see in this hadith is that the man he was asking the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that has allah commanded you of such and such what does it show that the man was aware from before He had heard from before but he came all the way to ask the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam why to verify to verify that has allah commanded you that we have to do such and such you understand so what does it show to us that whatever we have heard as well before implementing it or before passing it on we must verify you know check a book check the reference and then pass it on otherwise just on mere hearsay or on mere assumption we should not pass on whatever that we have heard the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam just said allahumma na'am he said why you doubt me why are you asking allah is the one who sent me and you don't believe in my messengership fine no allahumma na'am that's exactly what the man wanted to hear isn't it because he said i beseech you by allah I ask you by your Lord and the Lord of those before you, you tell me if such and such is the case. And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, yes, Allahumma naam, yes, 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 simple. So some people, if you argue with them, it's going to get you nowhere. Just say what they want to hear. Just say what they want to hear and move on. And don't mind these little little things, because we mind little little things. We get irritated, we get angry, and then we forget. you know the main discussion or the main focus go ahead maybe this person has doubt in his heart so it shows that it's not the matter of doubting this person already knew it but sometimes for the itminal qalb when you learn direct from your teacher it gives you yaqeen as yes. well that my knowledge what i'm understanding is correct exactly. so it is the haq of student if uh, they want to ask question because some, many times i heard it too that it's been understood wrong if somebody is asking too mm. many questions regarding we know the balance asking too many unnecessary irrelevant questions that we know just like the people of the cow we don't do yes. but questions that are relevant that have to do with yaqeen that have to do with amal there is no harm in asking such questions okay let's continue bab ma yuzkaru fil munawalati wa kitabi ahli al-ilmi bil ilmi ila al-buldan chapter ma yuzkaru what is mentioned fil munawalati concerning munawala wa and meaning and what is mentioned concerning what kitabi writing writing of who ahlil ilmi the people of knowledge meaning the scholars their writing of bil ilmi of knowledge ila al buldan to the various cities to the various cities so two things are being mentioned over here first of all munawala and secondly kitaba what is munawala munawala is from nun ya lam nala what does that mean to attain okay. to attain and Munawala is another way of tahammulul hadith. One way is of qira'ah, ard. Another way is of munawala. And what is munawala? Munawala is that when a student would attain something from his teacher. How? Something that was written. For example, the teacher had a book that he wrote himself or he had a copy of you know the different ahadith that the teacher had 
learn from his teacher. So he has written all of them with himself. So he has a document, he has a book, okay, either his own writing or a book that he has received from his teacher. Okay, So this book, what does the teacher do? He transmits it to the student. He gives it, he passes it on to the student. And he says, this is my writing or this is my book. Okay, This is what I have learned from so-and-so teacher. Now you may narrate from me based on this book. You understand? One is that a student is sitting before the teacher. The teacher is reading or he is instructing. The, the student is listening, he's writing or he writes later. And then he says, حَدَّثَنَا so-and-so. You understand? Or the teacher is speaking. So the student says, سَمِعْتُ عَنْ فُلَانٍ Or that the student is reading. So he says, you know, أَخْبَرَنَا أَنْبَأَنَا so on and so forth. Another ways of munawala. Munawala is that the teacher gives the book to the student, like the physical copy. And he says, this is my book. Here, read it and pass on the ahadith based on this book. So when the student will pass on the ahadith that he has taken from that document, he will not say haddathana, he will not say akhbarana, he will use other words, which inshallah I will tell you about later. So he will not say samirtu. No, he will use some other words. So what is munawala? The teacher handing over a book, a document to the student. So when the student quotes, he doesn't say, I heard from my teacher. He will say, I'm narrating based on what I received from my teacher. And why is it that munawala has been, you know, separated from other ways of the hamulul hadith? You might say it's the same thing. The student has learned from the teacher. The thing is that a lot of importance was not given to written resources at that time. Written evidence was not given much importance at that time. If you had heard from the teacher, that was given much more importance. So it was to separate between the two. That this, the student actually learned from the teacher. This, he just read from the teacher's book. The second thing that is being mentioned over here is, وَكِتَابِ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ بِالْعِلْمِ إِلَى الْبُلْدَانِ Writing. Kitaba. Kitaba is another way of tahammulul hadith. That when a teacher would write, Ahlul ilm would write, would write what? The ahadith. And then they would send it in the form of a document as a letter to a student or to someone in another city. And then they would pass on that knowledge based on that letter they had. So two things. Munawala, this is face-to-face, hand-to-hand exchange. And kitaba is what? Writing a letter, sending a document. Do you see the difference between the two? Munawala is hand-to-hand exchange. Kitaba is that the teacher is writing to the student. Okay, he's sending a letter. So what's the evidence of this? Is this an authentic way? Is this an acceptable way of taking a hadith, of taking knowledge and passing it on? Imam Bukhari says it is. And this is why he mentions all of the evidences. وَقَالَ أَنَسٌ And Anas said that نَسَخَ عُثْمَانُ That Uthman رَضِي عنه, He inscribed, he wrote الْمَصَاحِفَ The Masahif, Mushaf, meaning the Qur'an. And then فَبَعَثَ بِهَا And then he sent it, meaning he sent the various copies of the Mus'haf to where? إِلَى الْآفَاقِ To the far-off areas. You remember the word آفَاق? It comes in the Qur'an. What happened at the time of Uthman رضي الله There were many people who were becoming Muslim, especially those who were non-Arabic. Right? They did not speak Arabic language. And when they recited the Qur'an or when they heard the Qur'an, or when the different ahruf, they, you know, they came across different ahruf, different qiraat, people were mixing up, they were not pronouncing correctly, they were memorizing incorrectly, so there could, you know, a great fitna could have come up. So as a solution, what he did was, 
that he had the Mus'haf written down in one lugha, the lugha of the Quraysh, the language of the Quraysh, the script of the Quraysh. He had it written in that, based on one harf. Remember the Qur'an was revealed in several ahruf. So he had it written on one harf. And multiple copies were made of that Mus'haf, and those Mus'haf were sent to the various areas of the Muslim empire. And that is what people learned, that is what they memorized, that is what was taught. And the rest of the Mus'haf that people had, they were all destroyed, they were all burnt up. Why? So that people would not be confused at which one is the right version, which one is the wrong version. So what happened at this time? Uthman, he had the Mus'haf written, written, and then he handed over those copies to the different leaders of the Muslim empire, and he sent those copies to the various areas, and as a result they were taught. So what was the source of that? Learning of the Qur'an, what, what was the basis of that? The Mus'haf that Uthman anhu had sent. So we see this. Even the Sahaba did it. Munawala, kitaba. You understand? You understand why this is an evidence? Because this is how they passed on the Qur'an. وَرَأَى عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنِ عُمَرَ وَيَحْيَى وَيَحْيَى بْنُ سَعِيدٍ وَمَالِكٌ ذَلِكَ جَائِزًا Abdullah ibn Umar, Yahya ibn Sa'id, and Imam Malik. All of them considered this to be jaiz. Valid, acceptable. وَحْتَجَّ بَعْضُ And he took evidence. Who? بَعْضُ أَهْلِ الْحِجَازِ Some of the people of Hijaz. فِي الْمُنَاوَلَةِ Concerning Munawala. What was the evidence that they took? By بِحَدِيثِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ By the hadith of the messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم. Which hadith? حَيْثُ where? In which? Kataba, he wrote, meaning the Prophet ﷺ had a letter sent to who? Li-Amiri, to the leader, the commander of As-Sariya, of a battle of an expedition. Kitaban, a letter, waqala, and he said, La taqra'hu, do not read it. Hatta until tabulugha, you reach makana kada wa kada, such and such place. So the Prophet ﷺ handed over the letter to him, and he said, don't read it until you reach that place. Who was this? Ubaidullah ibn Jahish. And he was sent on a particular expedition. He was made the commander. And the Prophet ﷺ told him, when you reach a nakhla then you open up this letter and then you read it. So we see two things over here. What do we see? First of all, munawala. The Prophet ﷺ handed over, hand-to-hand exchange of the letter. And then, what happened? Afterwards, when Ubaidullah ibn Jahish, he reached that point, فَلَمَّا بَلَغَ ذَلِكَ الْمَكَانِ قَرَأَهُ عَلَى النَّاسِ He read it. Before the people. وَأَخْبَرَهُمْ And he informed them بِأَمْرِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وسلم, About the command of the Prophet ﷺ. About the instruction that he had given them. So what do we see over here? That knowledge was transmitted, information was transmitted, even at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. How? By hand. In a written form. A document being handed over to the other. And he passed on, or by the ibn Jahish passed on whatever was in that letter to who? Those people before him. So similarly, if a student receives a document from the teacher, he may pass on that knowledge to others saying that he got that information from the document that he received from his teacher. Munawala. Similarly, if a person receives a letter from his teacher, and in that a hadith are written, he may pass those on, meaning it's a valid way. Okay, This method of this kind of referencing, this is correct, it is valid. Now Imam Bukhari mentions a hadith, حَدَّثْنَا إِسْمَعِيلُ بْنُ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنِي إِبْرَاهِيمُ بْنُ سَعْدٍ عَنْ صَالِحٍ عَنْ إِبْنِ شِه
ان عبيد الله بن عبد الله بن عتبه بن مسعود ان عبد الله بن عباس اخبره that he informed him that ان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم بعث he sent بكتابه with his letter رجلا امان he sent a man with his letter وامره and he instructed him ان يدفعه that he should deliver it الى تو عظيم البحرين the leader the chief of where al bahrain bahrain is a place you all are i believe familiar with fadafa'ahu so then he sent him who the azim of bahrain he sent that letter when he received it so fadafa'ahu azim al bahraini to who ila kisra to kisra who is kisra the persian king this is just like when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam sent a letter to hiraql did he send it directly to hiraql no it was sent first to Azim of Busra. He received it and then he passed on that letter to Hiraql. So similarly, the Prophet ﷺ sent his letter to Kisra through Azim al-Bahrain. So the letter was delivered to Kisra. فَلَمَّا قَرَأَهُ Then when he read it, who read it? Kisra, when he read the letter of the Prophet ﷺ, مَزَّقَهُ He destroyed it. He destroyed it. مَزَّقَهُ Are you familiar with this word? كُلَّ مُمَزَّقُ فَحَسِبْتُ So I think, the narrator is saying this, that I think that أَنَّ ابْنَ الْمُسَيِّبِ that Ibn al-Musayyib, he said, who is Ibn al-Musayyib? Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib. So Ibn al-Musayyib, he said, قَالَ He said, فَدَعَا عَلَيْهِمْ Meaning the Prophet ﷺ, he prayed against them. فَدَعَا عَلَيْهِمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ the Prophet ﷺ prayed against them. What dua did he make against them? أَن يُمَزَّقُوا كُلَّ مُمَزَّقُ That they would be completely destroyed, completely torn to pieces. That just as he tore the letter of the Prophet ﷺ to pieces, the Prophet ﷺ prayed that their kingdom be torn to pieces as well. And this indeed happened by the amr of Allah, by the idhan of Allah, by the hukum of Allah, that this king, this Kisra, his son is the one who killed him in order to take his position. And soon after, in the time of Umar anhu, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas anhu, he came and he conquered Persia. Their kingdom was torn into pieces just as they tore the letter of the Prophet ﷺ. So anyway, what do we see over here? That the Prophet ﷺ sent a letter. Kitaba. Kitaba. A letter was sent. Information was sent through a letter. And that information was very important because the Prophet ﷺ was calling that man and his people to the deen of Allah. There was da'wah in it, the words of the Prophet ﷺ in it. But when they disregarded it, when they destroyed it, look at the consequences. So anyway, if a teacher sends something in writing to a student, then it is permissible for the student to pass on that knowledge that he has learned. حدثنا محمد بن مقاتل أبو الحسن أخبرنا عبد الله قال أخبرنا شعبة عن قتادة عن أنس بن مالك قال he said كتب النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كتابا the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم wrote a letter أو أراد or he intended أن يكتب that he should write obviously when the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم wrote a letter this doesn't mean that he wrote it himself but what does it mean that he dictated the letter and his scribe wrote it for him so he wrote it or he intended to write it فَقِيلَ لَهُ So it was said to him that إِنَّهُمْ Indeed they, who? The people to whom you were sending the letter to. لَا يَقْرَؤُونَ كِتَابًا They do not read any letter إِلَّا except مَخْتُومًا It should be sealed. 
meaning they will not give any importance to a letter unless and until it has the official stamp on it. If it has a stamp on it, then they will give importance to it. If it doesn't have a stamp on it, they will ignore it. فَاتَّخَذَ خَاتِمًا So the Prophet ﷺ took a ring, خَاتِم, a ring, مِنْ فِضَّةٍ of silver. And this ring, نَقْشُهُ, its engravement was Muhammad Rasulullah. Meaning Muhammad Rasulullah was engraved on it. How was it engraved on it? Muhammad at the bottom, Rasul in the middle, and Allah at the top. So it was all engraved on a ring. And the Prophet ﷺ would use that as a stamp, as a seal. Because they would take wax and they would put it at the end of the scroll to seal it so that the scroll wouldn't open. And while the wax was still hot, they would put the, they would, you know, imprint it with the stamp or the seal so that that mark would come. So whenever the Prophet ﷺ would seal a letter, stamp a letter, it would say, Muhammad Rasulullah. So anyway, this companion, Anas ibn Malik, he's saying that, كَأَنِّي As if I أَنظُرُ I can see إِلَى بَيَاضِهِ To its whiteness فِي يَدِهِ In his hand. As if I can see the whiteness of that ring in his hand. Because it was of silver. So it was extremely bright. Right? It was extremely bright. So he said, as if I can see its whiteness in his hand when he was narrating. فَقُلْتُ لِقَتَادَةَ So I said to Qatada, مَنْ قَالَ نَقْشُهُ Who said? Shu'ba. Because Shu'ba took this hadith from Qatada. So he said, that I said to Qatada, مَنْ قَالَ نَقْشُهُ مُحَمَدُ الرَّسُولُ اللَّهُ Who said that its naqsh, its engravement was of Muhammad Rasulullah? قَالَ He said, Anas. Meaning Anas is the one who told me that that ring was engraved with the words Muhammad Rasulullah. So anyway, what do we see over here? That the Prophet ﷺ sent a letter. And that letter was sealed. It was stamped. It had like a signature on it. So similarly, teachers, what they would do is that they would write the ahadith that they knew, they would send them to their students, but at the end they would say, katabahu so and so. Meaning they would sign it off with their name. So if it's signed off, that means it's an original document and a student may transmit Whatever he has read from that letter. He may narrate. Have something to say? Go ahead. Because if he writes the book and gives it to the student that you can narrate this, it's like a manavala. Yeah. And then when it's also written, so it has both yeah. the things in See, it. See, the thing is that at that time, especially at the beginning, there were so many students of knowledge. So many students of knowledge and there were so many people that you could learn hadith from. And it wasn't possible for everybody to go to different, different teachers in the different areas of the Muslim empire and stay with the teacher for a very long time and learn from him and then go back and teach. So some students, they would, you know, go to a teacher, study a little bit from him and the teacher would say, you know what, take this book of mine and go narrate from this. I trust you. I know your capability. Some other students, because they were far off, they had gone off or they never got a chance to come to the teacher and meet him. They would just write a letter to him that I am so-and-so, I am the student of so-and-so, I have heard about you and I've heard that you have all of these ahadith. Please write them to me so that I can narrate these ahadith. So the teacher would say, okay, I will give you these ahadith. It's also possible that the teacher had more than one book. This is just like if a teacher has multiple copies of the same book. You know, he gives one to one student and he gives another to another student, keeps one with himself. One book he learned from a particular teacher, he says, yeah, I have it all in writing, but I know it all. I've memorized it. You know, if I give it to you in writing, it'll save your time. So this way, munawala and kitaba, both are valid ways. They're both correct ways. Now, what do we see in this hadith? That the Prophet ﷺ, he used 
a seal, a ring to seal to stamp his letter. What does it show? That wearing of a ring is permissible. For who? For men. But it is of silver here. So we know that gold is not acceptable. But men are allowed to wear rings as long as they're not of gold. So silver is permissible. And we see that even if it's extremely shiny, right, extremely beautiful, that's also permissible. Even if it's for the purpose of zina, even if it's for the purpose of adornment, it is permissible. Okay? Whether there's a need or no, it is permissible because the Prophet ﷺ wore a ring. And we also see that it is permissible to have the name of Allah engraved on a piece of jewelry. Like the ring is what? With something that you wear on your finger. The name of Allah was engraved on it. Similarly, if a person is wearing a necklace, a pendant, and on that the name of Allah is there, it is permissible to wear that. However, we know the proper etiquette. That if you go to the bathroom, if you're in a particular place where it's not appropriate to wear it, take it off before you go in. You understand? Because many times it happens that, you know, some people, as the more respect they have for the Qur'an, they say that, no, that's it. Don't even wear such necklaces. Don't wear such rings. It is permissible because the Prophet ﷺ wore that ring. And it had the name of the Prophet ﷺ as well as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala written on it. Now, as I mentioned to you earlier, that there are many different ways of tahammulul hadith, acquiring hadith. And there are many other ways that Imam Bukhari has not mentioned over here. He has mentioned four over here, directly and indirectly. Qira'ah and ard and samar as well he has indicated. And as well as munawala and kitaba. And these ways were all adopted by the scholars, by their students to acquire the knowledge of the hadith. And they were considered valid. Why? Because every person did not have the opportunity, did not have the time to sit with a teacher and listen to everything from him. We know that, for example, Imam Bukhari, when he wrote his book, he taught his book to many people, thousands and thousands of people. But he could not listen to every student. Isn't it so? He could not listen to every student. Similarly, every student could not come to him and spend years with him and say that, okay, you give me ijazah to narrate this book from you. Every student would not have that opportunity. Just imagine if there are a thousand students. How is it possible that every single one of them is given an ijazah? If you think about it, for example, in the Qur'an, some shuyukh, if they give ijazah to their student, it's a condition that the student has to have the Qur'an memorized and the student has to recite the entire Qur'an before the teacher. Now imagine if for every student, this is the only way of acquiring knowledge, acquiring the knowledge of hadith, it would be very difficult. So to make knowledge more accessible to people, all of these ways were adopted. Yes, some ways are more superior to others. This is just like a person says, I have read the book of, for example, Sheikh Yasir Qadi of Ulumul Quran. I have read his book. Another says, you know what? I have studied this book, you know, when he was actually teaching this book. And I'm sure some of you have. That he had the book in front of him and he was teaching the book and I was there in that class. Is there a difference? There's a difference between just reading the book and there's a difference in hearing the book from the one who wrote the book. A huge difference, isn't it? So tell me something. Does every student have the opportunity to sit before the teacher and study the book from him? Every student does not have that opportunity. So just because a student has not done that doesn't mean he is prevented from passing on that knowledge if he has a chance to do so. No. He should have that opportunity. If he has received that knowledge, and if it's a valid way, it's an acceptable way, he should be able to pass it on. So what are the different ways of the Hamulul Hadith? First of all, the first way, the most superior way, and I'm telling you in order of preference as well. The first way is of Samar. What is Samar? Reading by the teacher. 
reading by the teacher and the students would listen because samar is to hear so the student acquired the hadith through listening how teacher was reading student was listening and this method this way was the most common way in second century after hijra and the teacher would read a hadith either from his memory or even from his book and we see that even at the time of the sahaba radhiyallahu anhu they would read the ahadith to the tabi'in they would do imla meaning they would dictate they would read the books they would read the ahadith and the tabi'in or their students would be writing the hadith if a student acquires some ahadith through samar which words will he use when he is narrating the ahadith he would use the words samir'tu i heard or haddathana or akhbarana or anba'ana all of these words were acceptable samir'tu haddathana akhbarana anba'ana the second way of tahammul al-hadith is qira'ah 'ala al-shaykh qira'ah 'ala al-shaykh reading to the teacher and this is also known as ard presentation and this is when a student would read and which student would read because imagine the teacher is there a lot of students are there the teacher would select one student the one who was most proficient amongst them the one who was most intelligent most fluent hmm? most knowledgeable so he would select that student and he would give for example that book or that document to the student from before that go read it tomorrow in class you have to read all of these ahadith so the student would be selected from before it was an understanding the student would read and the rest of the students would be listening and if the student would make any mistake the teacher would correct if there was any explanation the teacher would give that if there was anything that had to be added that had to be clarified the teacher would do that and if a student acquired a hadith in this way what words would he use he would say akhbarani fulanun akhbarani fulanun or akhbarana fulanun but if the student is the one who actually read who read before the teacher and all the other students are also there now this student the special student okay he's narrating the hadith he will say qara'tu ala fulan i read before so and so qara'tu ala fulan i'm listening to these lectures to prepare for this class it's by the sharh of sahih bukhari by sheikh ibn uthaymin and there's a student of his who reads the ahadith okay he reads the hadith and then sheikh ibn uthaymin he tells him to stop and then he explains the hadith and then he tells him okay continue and that student has been reading from the beginning and allah wardam how far he gets the opportunity but every single class he is the one who is reading the hadith So whenever I listen to him you know I think about the majalis of the past when you know a teacher a sheikh would be there present a student is reading and the student would say later on qara'tu ala fulan special student and obviously he's not special just because the teacher preferred him remember we learned that Ibn Abbas radhiyallahu he would also give preference to one of his students why because he saw something special in him these ways obviously they're not used today This was before when the people would be narrating the hadith. So because at that time if you would go to any majlis okay and a person is teaching hadith you would find out where did you get this knowledge of hadith from what's your chain what's your sanad so he would give the sanad so sometimes he would say samir'tu sometimes i would say qara'tu ala fulan sometimes he would say akhbarana sometimes he would say akhbarani so there's a difference in the way that he acquired the hadith 
The way that ijazah is given today is also different. Some scholars are very strict, some teachers and others are not that strict. And every teacher has her own standard. Some will say that you have to read all of it before me. So he will say that if he's asked, how did you get your ijazah? He will say, qara'tu ala fulan. You understand? So there are different ways of allowing the student to pass on the knowledge. Then the third way is of ijazah. What is ijazah? Ijazah, this is not what we think of ijazah. Ijazah, this is permission to transmit. Meaning a student would be given the permission by the teacher to transmit, to narrate whatever he had learned from the teacher. This permission would be written and this permission could also be oral. Okay? This permission could also be oral. Now think about it. There is a gathering of a thousand students. Thousand students. There are some students who are sitting in the front. Other students who are at the back. Those at the back, they heard the teacher. When they were passing on, what will they say? Samir'tu. Or another student was reading, so they will say, Akhbarana. But the students were sitting in the front. The teacher says, you know what? I allow you to pass on this knowledge. So the student... He will say, when he's narrating the hadith, he will say, حَدَّثَنِي فُلَانٌ إِجَازَةً or أَخْبَرَنِي فُلَانٌ إِجَازَةً He gave me the special permission. حَدَّثَنِي فُلَانٌ إِجَازَةً or أَخْبَرَنِي فُلَانٌ إِجَازَةً Or a student may also use the words, أَجَازَ لِي فُلَانٌ أَجَازَ لِي فُلَانٌ Then the fourth way is of munawala. What does munawala mean? It is translated as granting of books, granting of documents. So the teacher would give his book to the student or give his document to the student saying that this is my book or this is my collection and you may narrate from it. You may pass on all of the hadith that are in it. So the student would say, what words would he use if he ever quoted that, if he ever used that as a reference? That fima na walani wa ajazani. That fima Nawalani in what was granted to me, in what was transmitted to me. This is what I heard, or this is what I read, or this is what I was taught, and so on. What does it show? That any person, if he ever spoke any hadith, he would have to give the reference. The reference that this is the hadith, I got it from so and so teacher, and this is how I got it. This is how important it was. And unfortunately, these days, what is done? What is done? No references are provided. No references are given. Then we see, the next is kitaba. Kitaba is correspondence. That the teacher would send in writing to his student, allowing him to narrate. And he would write at the end of the letter, katabahu fulanun. He would write his name, that so and so wrote it. So the student, when he would narrate hadith based on that letter, he would say, kataba ilayya fulanun. Kataba ilayya Fulanun, so-and-so teacher of mine wrote this hadith to me. Kataba ilayya fulanun. Or he would say, Haddathani fulanun kitaban. So-and-so narrated to me in writing. Or akhbarani fulanun kitaban. Okay, so he would use the word kitaban. This is just like, you can say, distance learning. That a student would be learning from a distance. He's not there at the institute. No, he's at a distance. He learned whatever he learned by correspondence and then he passed it on. And we see that this happened even in the first century after Hijrah. We learned that Imam Malik, 
he was asked by Yahya ibn Sa'id to write him a few ahadith that he had from Ibn Shihab zuhri So Imam Malik, he wrote a few ahadith that he learned from Ibn Shihab zuhri and he sent them to Yahya ibn Sa'id. And Yahya ibn Sa'id, what did he do? He narrated those ahadith and what did he say? That katabali fulanun. That Imam Malik, he wrote this hadith to me and this that's the evidence that I have. Then another way is of I'lamu shaykh I'lamu shaykh What is I'lam? To make known. So announcement by the teacher. What does it mean by this? That the teacher would inform the students, he would tell the students that I heard this hadith from so and so or I studied this book from so and so and I have the permission to transmit. The teacher is just telling the students that I got this knowledge of mine from so and so teacher, from so and so teacher. He's just telling his students. So the students, what do they do? They say, our teacher said this and our teacher learned from so and so. They didn't say our teacher narrated to us, but they will say something and they will say that our teacher learned from so and so. So for example, the student would say, Fima a'lamani shaykhi, Fima a'lamani shaykhi. That my shaykh, my teacher informed me that anna fulanun haddathahu. That so and so narrated to him. Okay, one is that the teacher is actually giving the chain. He's giving the ijazah. Okay, but the other is that the teacher is just telling the students, I read from so and so. I studied from so and so. Just to make it understandable for you, you might say, for example, that so and so scholar studied from this university. Studied from that scholar. Now, that scholar never told you that, you know, narrate this knowledge from me, I'm teaching this to you, transmit it. No, you can say that so-and-so scholar learned from this university and he says this. You understand? You have a reference, right? What's the reference? That university, that scholar. Then, is this too hard? I'm just telling you all of these different ways. It's important to know. This is just the tip of the iceberg, okay? There's a lot to learn. I'm just telling you the basic stuff, okay? Just the names and what they mean. But I want you to appreciate all of these methods, all of these ways. And the point is that we should appreciate how authentic this knowledge is. How they never spoke unless they had a reference. Then we have wasiyah. Wasiyah is bequest, bequest of books. So for example, there was a teacher. He was extremely old and he was afraid that he was going to die anytime soon. So he was afraid that this knowledge that I have, how is it going to be passed on to the people? So... His student, who is very good, he trusts him, he gives him the book. He hands over his book to him and he tells him that, look, I'm giving this to you, pass it on. He doesn't say, I give you ijazah. He doesn't read everything to him. He doesn't make him read. He just gives him the book and he says, look, this is my wasiyah to you, pass it on. So the student, if he would narrate anything from that book, he would say, Fima awsa ilayya fulanun. فِيمَا أَوْصَى إِلَيَّ فُلَانٌ بِكِتَابِ كَذَا وَكَذَا Then the final way is of wijada. What is wijada? Discovery of books. Discovery of books. We know that the scholars of the past, they wrote many books. They even had their own documents, their own notebooks, in which their own collections, and they didn't necessarily teach those books. Or, for example, those books got lost, or those books were not found by people initially, then eventually they were discovered. So for example, if a person discovers a book of a particular sheikh and he reads something in that book, is he allowed to pass that on? Yes. 
So if he discovered he happened to come by that book, he would say, وَجَدْتُ فِي كِتَابِ فُلَانٍ I found such and such in so-and-so's book. I found this in so-and-so's book. So these are all the different ways of تحمل الحديث, the different ways in which the people would acquire the knowledge of the hadith and then they would use this as a reference when they would be passing on the knowledge. I have a question for you. If a person, like for example these days, this is not done these days as much or in fact anymore, it's not that common. Very few people have ijazah okay, from their teacher, ijazah with sanad, and ijazah that is of a high standard. It is done but on a very small scale. If your teacher has not given you ijazah, or if you didn't happen to be in a situation such as this, that you actually learned from a teacher, you sat in his company, and you acquired the knowledge from him, are you not allowed to pass it on? What should you do? If you're passing on some information that you acquired, it doesn't fall in any of these ways, and it's not practiced anymore, so what should you do? Not pass on that knowledge? There has to be a balance. Remember the Prophet ﷺ said, بَلِّغُوا anni وَلَوْ aya." So whatever we know, we have to convey. However, remember that this knowledge, knowledge of the deen, what is it? Is it actually deen? Knowledge when it's passed on, along with the knowledge, aqidah is passed on. Isn't it? Fiqh is passed on. So it's important that if you hear something from someone, you know where they're getting it from. Where did they get it from? What's their evidence? What's their source? Who's their teacher? What's their background? Are they just telling us, based on their own assumption, based on their understanding, or is there some basis for it? There has to be some basis for it. So we should know the basis or the foundation, or you can say the evidence, the references of people that we are learning from, what books they're using, which teachers they have learned from, what resources are they using. We should be familiar with them. Why? So that we know that whatever we have acquired is Alhamdulillah, authentic, and we should be confident about it. So whenever you read a book, don't forget to read the references. Okay? Sometimes we ignore this stuff. We generally do. Pay attention to that. What is a reference? Because it's quite possible you read something very surprising in a book, and you're like, oh my God, this cannot be authentic. Ignore it. And when you read it at the end, you find that it is indeed authentic, or vice versa, completely opposite. So you should know about where your knowledge is coming from. But just because somebody does not have an ijazah does not mean you completely disregard them. Because we find these two extremes in people. Either they don't give any importance to ijazah or they give importance to only ijazah. Whatever you know, pass it on, provided that it is authentic. I remember once my father told me that when they did their PhD, they went to visit different, different scholars in different, different countries, my parents, and they also went and visited Sheikh Albani. He was extremely old at that point, but they made a point. They went and visited them and they asked him a number of questions and they, you know, told him about what they were learning and what they were doing. And he also advised them. He told them about different things. So it was a meeting that they had. And, you know, because of his encouragement, because of his advice, Alhamdulillah, they, they did many things. However, you know, they could have said, oh, we never studied from him. We never sat in his company. He never gave us ijazah. So this is why we're never going to do this stuff. We're never going to teach. No. They just got the opportunity to meet him. He advised them. He answered their questions. He encouraged them. He guided them. And if that is all you got, alhamdulillah, pass on whatever you have learned. Because 
people have become very shadid, very like extreme in this matter. Some people have become extremely strict and other people have become extremely lenient. So there has to be a balance. Just know where the knowledge is coming from. And it's a sad state, unfortunately, but this is the reality. The Prophet ﷺ said that when the standards will become low, then fundility is sa'ah. Wasiyah is like given by the teacher to the student before he dies or before he goes on a journey and he says, look, I'm telling you, pass this on. Munawal is just like, you would like to have this book, go ahead, take it. And it's understood that the student is going to pass it on. But wasiyah is like, you know, this teacher gives a special instruction as well. Hold on to this knowledge, you know, study it, pass it on. Does it mean it's like the key is this, that one is so old or somebody is near the... Not necessarily. Wasiya is also done before journey. The difference is in wasiya, the teacher is explicitly saying, take this from me, pass it on. Remember the word wasiya, what does it mean? To give an important instruction. So he's giving that instruction with a lot of emphasis that here, take it, pass it on. Both he's handing over the book. In Munawala, he's handling over, in Munawala, handing over the book as that, well. In that clear instruction may not be there. The student is asking for it, and in Vasiya, the teacher is himself giving it. That's that also it? possible. Okay. Yes. Not necessarily. It could be a document, it could be a book, it could be a collection. Okay, The length does not matter. Yeah. Like for example, a wasiya becomes an amana on the student to pass it on. Because the teacher instructed him, take it and pass it on. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.